Welcome to Threat Talk, a new podcast series from Infoblox. My name is Peter Gothard, and I've been writing about IT security for nearly eight years as a journalist and consultant. In this series, we're setting out to map the cybercrime landscape. With the help of experts and hackers, I'll dig into the methods and motivations of those exploiting vulnerable businesses and aim to provide solutions to combat the threat they pose. If you head to insacam.org right now, you can watch people sunbathe on the Costa Brava in Spain, or you can see the comings and goings of high streets in Germany, Japan, Canada, and many more places. The site lists direct access to thousands of unsecured online security cameras around the world. If you find the camera that you own is streaming to the site and you'd rather it wasn't, then the administrators suggest curtly that the only thing you need to do is set the password of your camera. This website is just one small reflection of the challenge that the Internet of Things now poses to security professionals. Predictions for the number of devices that will be connected to the Internet over the next five years always vary, but they also always land somewhere in the billions. As evidenced by Insacam, many of these devices will not be secure to even the most basic degree. Now this presents a whole new universe of possibilities to hackers, and one that is currently unmapped and unregulated. The vast Mirai botnet of unsecured devices has already been used to knock an entire nation, Liberia in West Africa, offline. As more devices are brought online, defending against these kinds of attacks will only become more complex. So what can be done? Well, here to help me try and answer that question are security experts from both sides of the fence. Gary Cox is Infoblox's technology director for Western Europe, and Mike Godfrey is the CEO of Insinia Security. Welcome, guys. Hi, Peter. Hey, Peter. So billions of devices all connected together out there all over the world. Will it actually be possible to, to map them all and secure them all? And how? And if so, whose responsibility should that be? So that was a very, very broad, broad question, Peter. I think if we are focusing on enterprise security rather than IoT in its uh, widest form of you know, consumer, mm. if we just focus on enterprise, then it comes back to a little bit of cyber hygiene. It comes back to asset inventories. Know what's on your network. Know what they should and shouldn't be talking to. So, I mean, when it comes to whose responsibility is it? Well, ultimately, that is the responsibility of the business. It's the responsibility of the CISO. It's the responsibility to have a good policy that ensures you know what's on your ne on your network. So whether you've got an IP address management tool or some other asset inventory that's saying what's in use, which IP has it got, where should it be talking to? Um, yeah, those are the general themes that I think I would uh, I would uh, look look to to try and enforce. Okay, and maybe just to rewind a little bit to contextualise when we're talking about enterprise IoT devices, what sort of things are we actually talking about now like what is actually out there typically what what sort of things are being connected together in remote places for enterprise use so i mean it, you know mike's probably got a different perspective on this to, to to me because of his his background but i mean actually we could still be talking about anything and everything think about a vegas hotel room that's the example that i always like to have in, in my in my head you have got you've got phones you've got internet connectivity you've got connected televisions you've got connected safes you've got connected fridges you've got connected lighting you've got connected blinds I could go on. The point being, if you think about a Vegas hotel room, the number of IPs 
that are being consumed by the number of bits of stuff, internet of stuff, that's in there, it is absolutely vast. If we take that and extrapolate it to a typical enterprise, well, they're going to have a boardroom. That boardroom's going to have cameras. It's going to have... Um, things like Zoom or, or WebEx or, you know, something like that, then it's got its security layer. You've got perimeter barriers. You've got security cameras. The list is almost endless. And all of this stuff is, is now connected. As I said, Mike, you've probably got a very detailed view of this, given the nature of your, your work. Yeah, go on, Mike. And I'll ask you a question. Will it be possible to map and secure this huge array? So I think, I think there's, a, there's a couple of misconceptions. So firstly, can we map potentially a billion devices? Well, yes, we can. When you look at um, somebody like Barclays Bank, for example, they map billions of transactions um, over time, and, and it's not a problem at all. Um, now, when we look at securing those devices, obviously that's a whole different ballgame. Um, what you find is that a lot of these devices use what's called system on chip or an RTRS, which is a real-time operating system. Um, they're very lightweight and they're very, very difficult to secure because of the nature of them. Um, so, yeah, will we be able to map them? Yeah, I'd say we would, but will we be able to secure them? That's a whole different challenge, um, in my opinion. And then we'll talk in a minute about IIoT, so industrial IoT, um, and the different applications of IoT. Um, but yeah, I think I think what Gary said is, is spot on, really. Well, to, to sort of keep with that line of inquiry, then, what's the difficulty in securing all these devices? The difficulty is, like we say, like system on chip devices that have been made for a specific function haven't been made for security. And security can be extremely heavy on devices, and it can also present a range of issues from latency um, to the amount of workload that that device has to do. Now, these devices need to be cheap, they need to be fast, they need to be quite reliable. Um, so that is definitely definitely a huge issue um, with IoT. Um, but yeah, really, it's, it's the same thing. They weren't built for security, and now we're expected to secure them after. And um, an analogy that I always use, I always say to people, look, don't expect a firewall to patch your bad code. You can't rely on, on edge devices or perimeter devices to secure IoT. It really should be done from the ground up, and sadly it's not. That's the truth of it. But that's not likely to change, is it? Because... As you say, you know, these things <clears throat> have to be produced cheaply and, and they're produced for a very specific need or requirement. So, you know, I, I guess they're being sort of just just mass produced, uh, you know, to, I don't want to say low standards, but, you know, just uh, the standard requires to do the job. A very low security standard, I'll say that's right. true. That's so, true. I mean, if you compare it to, I don't know, the fact that you can slap a firewall on like any computer and it has some sort of level of, of protection, how does that compare to IoT, that some IoT devices just have literally nothing and that's the way it's going to stay or, or can standards be introduced on some level? Or? Well, I think that really when you look at, at the misconception around IoT, people say, well, it doesn't matter to me if my kettle gets hacked. But your kettle is a device on your network. So if you can breach your kettle, you've breached your network. So um, I think that this whole misconception of, well, what's going to happen if someone hacks my fridge or hacks my kettle? If you if you hack the fridge, you're not only hacking the um, infrastructure of the house the fridge is in, but you're hacking the network the fridge is on. So you're hacking all the fridges in the entire world connected to that network, yeah. which kind of um, spins that around as well. But. Yeah, yeah, that's it. No, definitely um, it's a big challenge and um, we're definitely not at a level of maturity yet and I'm sure you've probably got some views as well Gary on, um, on how it works yeah I, I think you've hit the nail on the head there are so many different types of devices by so many different vendors uh, out there that it, it's you know security by design is uh, often falls by the wayside that being said Obviously, we've had the kite mark for uh, electrical safety for a, a while now. Mm -hmm. uh, we're starting to see similar types of um, rigor 
brought into to devices. You know, I mean, the challenge is always going to be, chances are those are going to be the devices from the, the best vendors that carry the premium price. Mm. So, you know, you, you get what you pay for in, in some respects. Um, but hopefully, you know, we can get to a point whereby, as a minimum, devices will come out there and the first thing they'll ask a user to do is to change the password rather than make it something default. Because, I mean, that's one of the biggest challenges, really, is that, you know, devices get slapped in, left as a, as a default, and then anyone who knows that default can then gain access to that device and, and uh, use it for alternative purposes. It's perhaps sort of an obvious question, but, but you know, maybe needs asking. Um, you've got unsecured IoT devices all over the place. Specifically, what, what sort of threats w will tend to commonly come through those devices? Like, what, what, what sort of things can people expect to be dealing with through their unsecured devices? One of the things that we deal with in Sydney is critical national infrastructure. So things like the water supply, gas supply, etc. Now, when, um, when we've looked at that and, and we look at what happened, we, um, we do consider IoT. And the reason why is because IoT quite often ends up as part of a botnet. Um, so botnets are quite interesting themselves. Botnets were actually created, and I remember when botnets first came around, to keep IRC channels open. So if everybody left an IRC channel, it would shut the room. So botnets were a way of keeping the, the room open. Now that's been used for malicious activity. So if you can get a botnet, a robot network of devices, and, and like we said, there's potentially a billion really, really low security devices out there, you've then got a billion points that you can attack a target from which is a huge, huge attack. Um, now, when we look at Mirai, Mirai, from, from memory, and it's, it's a few years ago now, I think he had 10 passwords. So all it did was look for devices and tried 10 passwords, and those passwords were enough to enumerate a huge number of devices. So when we, when we look at critical national infrastructure, what we found was that after we'd launched missiles to Syria in April last year, our cyber attacks went through the roof from places like Russia. So for us and for organisations like the CPNI, Centre for Protection of National Infrastructure, it's actually quite easy to just blacklist any Russian IP. But Russia aren't stupid. So in fact, the best way for them to attack our national infrastructure was to overtake routers, probably router at your home, router at my home, standard routers, that have all got a UK IP address. So now the only way of stopping that is by blocking genuine users and, and blocking their IP address, which obviously you don't want to do. So um, that's what I see as one of the main issues with um, with IoT devices. Once they become part of a botnet, you've then got a whole pool of IP addresses that could be UK, could be European, could be Russian, could be Chinese, which you then control, um, which you can carry out quite large-scale attacks. And luckily, our, our national infrastructure is quite well compartmentalised. At that time, we saw a 4,000% increase in power cuts. So um, that will probably tell you what you need to know as to whether we were under attack or not. Um, but that, to me, presents some of the biggest issues. I think it, you know, it comes back to know where your devices are trying to talk to. Mm. So, I mean, if I do have cameras on my network, be it my home network or a corporate network, then I should have an understanding as a security professional of what should that device be talking to when you know it's plane sailing versus you know when there are stormy seas right it's it's knowing and understanding where my devices are going so if we can if we can get a handle on that you know understand my assets and understand what, what my assets are talking to at least it starts to give an indication of that deviation from the norm that's not saying, you know, you're going to prevent someone taking over your device and making it part of a botnet, but at least you can wrap your hands around it and understand what's going on and, you know, that you need to disconnect that device or, 
or you know, whatever remediation task needs to happen. Sure. And on that, I think that's absolutely spot on. I think monitoring the behaviour of these devices, as, as with anything, really, we've gone from signature-based AV to behavioural-based um, AV, antivirus. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that same attitude needs to be adopted. Like, say, monitoring the behaviour, looking at what ports are open on devices. It's not stuff that your end user ordinarily does. Um, but with the right tools and tactics, it should definitely be within the realms of your capability. Without a doubt. Yeah, I mean, certainly, you know, DNS is a, is a great way of doing that. Because, you know, you, you mentioned it right at the start there. Your typical IoT device, you can't treat it like a laptop and put an antivirus client on it or put a firewall on it. That's not how they're designed. So, therefore, you need to extrapolate that one step further and say, okay, what is it talking to? Can I use DNS to monitor that? Can I use my IDS IPS to monitor that? Can I use my firewall to monitor and control that? It's using all those other security layers to actually um, do the job of what should be, you know, some endpoint security that doesn't exist. When I say to people, so even even some of our clients, which are huge, huge companies that we've all heard of, and we say to them, where is your data? What have you got on your network? And is your data encrypted at rest and encrypted in transit? And, and generally, the answer to that is, we don't know. Yeah. And um, let's not forget as well that people don't really want to map networks, which are huge, because it does have issues. Like we completely get penetration testing is quite invasive. Um, the amount of traffic when you scan a network goes through the roof. So we do get why people don't want to do it. Um, but at the same time, like, like you absolutely rightly said, you need to know what's on your network, especially if you're using things like DHCP, which will just throw an IP address out to everything. So uh, someone connects an IT device, that throws out an, I- an IP, that can now talk to the outside world. Ten minutes later, it's been hacked. So, um, yeah, that's absolutely spot on. You need to really know what's on your network and, and how that's behaving. Absolutely. We've been talking mostly about the sort of the big wide angle fears on, on this, you know, state-sponsored attacks and, and, and that sort of thing. But on a on a business level, I, I guess I'm sort of interested to drill down, you know, how are bad actors utilising unsecured IoT devices to disrupt businesses in particular and, and you know, to make money or like what, what actually is going on inside businesses once they've come in through IoT? There's a few examples out there we could pick on, right? If we, if I stick with my Vegas theme, there's the good old uh, fish tank, hey. right, in the Vegas hotel. Uh, you know, it, it had some IoT in the fish tank. Just do something as basic as monitoring water quality and temperature. That device is compromised. Um, you compromise one device, you're on that network because it's connected to the network, and then you can, you know, horizontally go across the network and then go and find whatever your actual target is. Um, the, the same is, is true of anything, right? It's uh, if I've got a camera, if I've got a children's toy that's connected to my to my network, whatever it may be, I just need one angle. Well, the bad guy, that bad actor needs one angle. And, you know, and that's it. They're on the network and then you can go and find a, an actual target to infiltrate and put ransomware on or whatever whatever the end goal is right and normally it's either disruption so hacktivism or it's financial mike are there any other kind of prevalent examples that, that you can think of at the moment 
Well, I think knowing if we look retrospectively on what we know, we know where IoT devices have been used. And really, there's there's a couple of ways that you can view it. Firstly, internal to your network. So if you've got IoT devices on your network, potentially you've got a weak point on your system, which which nobody wants. Mm-hmm. Um, so definitely IoT devices have been exploited through default credentials and through cracking passwords um, to get access to a network. And obviously, when you're on that network, you've got lateral movement, you've got vertical movement, so you can move around that network quite freely. And you can also use those devices to enumerate other things on your network. Now, when you look at the the kind of the offensive side of it, um, what you find is that we could sit here now with the computing power that we've got around us and build a botnet based on IT devices within the next 20 minutes. Once you do that and using tools like Showdown and you get that up to 80 to 100,000 nodes or endpoints, that is going to take most things down, even if they're using things like Cloudflare, um, etc. And we've seen that with DIM. So when DIM was attacked through IT devices, 30% of the internet went down. So, um, yeah, clearly we can see that denial of service is a big thing, and DDoS, which obviously distributed denial of service. Um, but what does that actually mean? Because I think a lot of people think that denial of service attacks are just on websites, and people think, people think, well, I can live without eBay for a week. Well, um, what it actually, actually means when you look at DDoS, we've seen DDoS attacks on cash machines to stop people getting cash out. Um, we've seen it on CEO and, and C-level executives' home connections. So, for example, they work from home. And this is quite a big attack. So when they send an email from home, they send out their true IP, and they're using a system that masks it like a VPN or like Google, etc. They send out their true IP. So an attacker can then use a botnet to attack that IP address and stop them communicating. Combine that with an attack that we spoke about earlier, like telephone spoofing, a lot of VoIP systems will accept incoming connections, but purely based on the fact that you're calling from your phone number. So if you're working from home, you can still dial out from your desk phone. Um, So now we can dial out from your phone number. You've got no connectivity. Combine that with a cell jammer, you've got no cell connection. So um, now, really, you're a a sitting duck in terms of a target, and that's just from a denial of service attack from IoT devices. So... um, um, yeah, I mean, it's definitely the first part of quite often a, a, a serious chain of attacks and events, mm. um, which leads to companies being taken down. And, and I think we need to remember how easy it is to, to do this, right? For, for, for $10, for $20, you know, I can hire a service just to, to, you know, to deploy a distributed denial of service attack. We've got gamers doing this. I was about to say this. Right? <laughs> yeah. Just because someone else is better at FIFA than they are, right? Yeah. Just, you know, even if you don't knock them off, it's just you just want to increase their latency to the point where you're going to win that game. And, you know, if it matters that much to you, then 10 or $20 just to hire the service, it's no great shakes, right? It's, it's, it's scary how trivial it is to, to hire these botnets to, to do these things. There's, there's sort of a ransom situation in a lot of these cases. Is that is that correct just on a general level yeah it it, it absolutely is i mean certainly we saw uh, examples last year in the banking community whereby uh, several high street banks uh, were the subject of a denial of service attack and there was a ransom note attached to that you know pay us this amount of money and we'll stop um you know i'm I'm pleased to say that you know those people have now been taken to taken to account for that but you know it, yeah it's it's all about the money right remember this is a this is a criminal act absolutely now i suppose there's a bit of a tendency with, with iot for everyone to be thinking about state-sponsored carnage type stuff affecting enterprise devices because enterprise devices are going to be bigger and you know do more things I'm, i was just wondering you know not wishing to hyperbolize but just what what the risk of, of anything that major or serious actually is on the near horizon because it doesn't really feel like it's gone that mad yet. I mean, I think, you know, 
ourselves and our listeners are probably clever enough to think about some really, really bad scenarios. I mean, as soon as we start to talk about medical IoT, connected pacemakers, things like like that, um, or or you know, or indeed cars that can be remotely remotely shut shut down and switched off, or have their you know steering jolted to the left or to the right, all of these kind of worst case scenarios are plausible, and and I think that's the the scary thing about this is you know if we go right back to the start of this conversation, you know IoT needs to be built with security in mind. Because these worst case scenarios, at least in my mind, they're truly plausible. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think when we consider, wouldn't it be bad if the water supply could be infiltrated and messed with? Wouldn't it be terrible if gas pipes were exploded? Wouldn't it be super, super bad if dams were, were taken down? But sadly, all these things have already happened. So we're not talking about things which, which we think might happen. We've been very lucky in the UK that, that we've got GCHQ and, and the SOS on our side. When you look at South America, so Brazil in particular, they don't. So they've lost a lot of national infrastructure to attackers. Even even Iran, there's still a dam in Iran, which you can enumerate on showdown now. So, um, yeah, the, these are things that have happened and will continue to happen without doubt. I wouldn't necessarily attribute that to IoT, but well, definitely it's a problem. Yeah. So I, I suppose, I mean, if you were talking to, say, the CEO of a company who was was thinking of buying in more IoT devices and, and, and had sort of fears, how would you sort of, how would you make them feel better about about what they were buying into and the, and the infrastructures that they were buying into? Well, I think it's it's do the same due diligence as you would for anything else that's on your network. It's It's as simple as that. You are connecting another computer another entity to your network. Treat it as you would everything else. It doesn't matter that it's, it's a simple device and it has one function. Mm-hmm. It's still on the network. It's still talking. It still has an IP address. It's still trying to communicate with something somewhere for some purpose. So, you know, it's it, it's the same. It's still a device. Yeah, and I think that's the that's the best advice. When you, when you talk about a scenario of a CEO, for example, wanting to incorporate more IoT devices, I'd say, do you understand IoT devices and do you understand how to properly deploy them? If the answer to that is no, then you probably shouldn't do it. I think <laughs> so that when, um, you know, when, when you look at, for example, IoT devices that are monitoring data centers, so they're connected to the network, they're connected to quite often the same subnet or VLAN um, as the existing infrastructure. So somebody thinks, yeah, great, environment sensor, we'll plug that into a switch. What you've actually done is just given a direct lead, a link straight into your data center. So... Um, I'm not saying don't use IoT. No, I'm not. But I'm saying understand the limitations of it and the ways that they can properly be deployed. Because IoT is great thing. So when you look at sensor-driven devices from 10 years ago, they just weren't feasible. Now they are feasible, and they get really good visibility into specific areas. But if that's at the cost of your security, then is it something you really want to do? So in, in terms of um, sectors and industries... Um, I, I guess it's it's interesting to think about which of those are particularly under threat at the moment. So I, I think there are some that are definitely at more risk than others. So uh, a lot of the utilities areas, hospitality with with hotels, as I said, there's a, there's a tendency. Certainly, guest experience becomes so good that everything is connected in the in the hotel room. But but actually, you know, this is such a such a broad area. The number of offices that you go into, and now that you know they've got 
screens everywhere in meeting rooms and at reception areas you know those screens are all all connected they're all probably running some some basic form of operating system because they are in inverted commas a smart tv um you know and and someone's plugged plugged them in so yes there are definitely verticals that i think are um probably the at the tip of the spear the ones who uh who need to be very very wary but actually this is 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 prevalent everywhere yeah and again i think consider the hack value so hacking your IoT device in your home network if you're not a, a person of interest or an individual that could be traversed to, to, into something else you're probably not really that interesting when you start looking at IoT so for example like I said we've got a lot of experience in industrial control systems so I can reel off scenarios and, and sort of blue in the face one of those might not be what you think so for example when you have a drill bit which is drilling out engine blocks if you can adjust that system whether that's through IoT or through PLCs so we we'll are really be talking about things that weren't built for security and were never connected to the internet if you can overdrill those holes and make them five millimeters too long, you could be doing that for weeks without anyone noticing. But you've you've completely changed the integrity of those of, of that application. Um, so it's a big problem. If you can make tools over rev or over spin, you can blow them up. In fact, there's a uh, there's a there's a, an interesting case of a power generation site in Russia, which I won't try and pronounce. Um, but they ended up destroying the whole site and killing. I think it killed seventy people because of a two dollar sensor which failed. And at the time, that was actually quite interesting because they were about to launch a counter strike on uh, on america thinking it was a cyber attack what it actually was was a cyber failure so it's interesting about how people identify failures in devices and attacks on devices um and especially with iot like we said real-time operating systems not much memory um no real hard drives on them it's very difficult to, to start collecting stuff from them if there's something like a real-time sensor so for example if we look at things like kids toys like the kayla doll we were one of the first companies to do research on the kayla doll when we looked at it we, all it was was a Bluetooth headset. It was the app that was driving everything, and the app was completely insecure. So when we went into the app, which was completely, it, it wasn't encrypted at all, um, we could just change all of the words so we could make it reply with different things. We, we had full control of that device because we had control of the app that was driving it. So we told the company that made it. They said, yeah, that's great, but we've encrypted it on the next one. They stored the, the, the decryption key locally. So as soon as the new app came out, we decrypted it. We had the same access. So... Um, this is the issue. Now, when you think that if you're somebody like, again, people say, yeah, well, if someone wants to watch my kid, they can. That's great. Until somebody starts sending you pictures of your kid and ransoming you, like we said, it's a hack value. What is that hack value? So that could be anything from manipulating processes, industrial processes, taking over kids' devices, taking over your kettle or TV. Um, it really can be anything which achieves the objective. Yeah, and I think that's that's the key. It really can be anything. There was, I, I always remember listening to a speak from one of your peers, actually, um, different penetration testing company, and you know they were talking again about children's toys, but they also talk about sex toys, right? Yes. I mean, oh, yeah, it, this is... it, you know, you talk people being ransomed. It can't get much more private than that, right? Yeah, Potentially. Yeah. Well, so it's, 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 it's a great point. And um, when somebody's telling you your sexual activity, for example, that is a daunting thing. Well, I, I was going to say it can also work backwards as well because because of the presumption of, of IoT. I mean, there's a, I don't know why it's been happening recently, but, but me and a few people I know have all had that very generic kind of um, we've seen through your webcam this is your email password, you know, we'll release this video of you, blah, blah, blah. And I mean, in my case, the password they quoted was 15 years old, which was great. So, you know, I knew it was a spoof and they'd just taken a list of leaked passwords. But this this idea that they're implying they've got control of your device, say your phone, because you think about, you know, IoT and you think about many devices on the network, you just automatically presume they've done an IoT hack when they haven't. Yeah. So I was flipping the point here and just kind of saying... 
because these things exist, you can find other ways to get at people that, you know, as, as you already said, are not actually related to the thing they think it is, but it all feeds in from the same Well, there's an interesting, fear. there's a very interesting point about this when, when the Met Police and the FBI thought they'd been hacked. And you can, you can read about this online, you can see it online. What actually happened was somebody from Spanish law enforcement had arrested a, a highly capable hacker. He wasn't very happy with him, obviously, because he'd been arrested. So while he was on bail, he hacked his personal email account. Now, this guy from Spanish law enforcement didn't have access to his work emails at home. So he forwarded a link to a call to his personal email, personal email that this hacker had access to. So what he did was he squatted on the call and you can listen to it. And um, he just sat on the call before people joined. Then you hear the FBI join in, you hear the Met Police join in, you hear other (laughs) other security intelligence services join in. And they were having a good chat about a trip that they were on before and how drunk they all were and uh, and everything. So so the Met and the FBI thought that they'd been hacked completely and they hadn't at all. It was just somebody's personal email had been hacked. So you can imagine the, the response that went into that. It was huge. And really nothing of that sort had happened at all. Fantastic. So, yeah, the response that it, that it gets is often huge. Wow. It's more complicated when you look at it like this, isn't it? <laughs> so, I mean, to sort of draw it um, back to the beginning, we, you know, I, I said that initially that there's sort of billions of these interconnected doodars everywhere now. Just out of interest, I mean, is anybody actually mapping that map, you know, and is there any way we can actually start to visualise the, the true horror slash blessing that is the IoT? So there's a couple of things. I mean, obviously, we've, we've already mentioned Shodan a, a couple of times. Shodan is one way of seeing what's out there. But actually, if I look at perhaps some of the more um, interesting things that are going on at the moment, so there's a study that's being done, some research that's being done by Princeton University that people can take part in, whereby they're collecting anonymized IoT data to actually just trying to figure out what does this landscape look like? How, you know, how many insecure devices are there that are out there? You know, what is your Alexa device or your, your you know, camera and its DVR actually doing? Is it using encrypted channels or, or not? And I think that's a really interesting So it'll be, it'll be really, really useful to see the results of that because I think that's going to shed a light on, you know, what does the bigger picture the bigger problem domain actually look like yeah and i think the one of the points for me is that when iot first came around i think again we'd be very naive to think that nobody capable looked at this and thought this might be a bad idea but i think with a lot of things technology often often goes before the the proper considerations of what should be done the way that i think about it is is jumping out the plane before you pack the parachute so it's something that was inevitable it was going to happen obviously devices were going to become more connected um did we prepare for it probably not i'm sure government organizations did and uh, i'm sure gchq isn't plugging in iot devices or smart locks into everything um but for your general user it's very difficult you use a tool which can greatly enhance your business experience but it may be compromising your security so um, yeah it's very difficult but I think people did see it come in people have seen it come in and people are taking steps Um, but like we said inherently it's very very difficult to to properly protect these devices What steps can businesses take to defend themselves against IoT attacks Um, and then really what should be the first line of defence? So let's come back to, to what we said a minute ago, a little bit of reiteration um, just for, for our listeners, make sure it really sinks in and we drive it home. Know what's in your network, know what it's trying to talk to. So you know, make sure you've got a good asset inventory, something like an IP address management database or, or something else. Uh, make sure that you're using things like DNS, DHCP, know what's in your network, know where it's been, know what it's connected to uh, and what it's trying to talk to. If you can, and I appreciate it's not always easy, try and get a baseline 
what does normal look like? Mm. If, I, if I know what normal looks like inside my environment, then it's much easier for me to see when something that isn't normal is going on. Is it easy to work out what normal is generally? It Most depends on the organisation and the size, the complexity of that organisation. Um, it's not always a trivial thing, but again, depends on who the organisation is. But if, if folks can do it, mm. it's certainly something that they should aspire to try and do. Sounds good. Any, anything to build on that? No, I think that's pretty good, really. I mean, obviously, I don't want to be doing with gloom, but it's very difficult to defend IT devices and, uh, and to properly secure them. So, no, it really, I think that's, that's good advice. Mm. Well, it, it feels like we can end things on a slightly positive note there, that, it, you know, maybe things are not actually as bad as, as maybe, I don't know, the, the press might like to believe because actually some thinking has gone into it, which is something I think I'll definitely take away. I mean, just to, to kind of wrap things up and summarise, uh, I, I, I think it's worth restating probably once again, know what's on your network know what it's trying to talk to and, and just really go with that core philosophy and walk away with that as you, as you try to start to manage your your IoT ecosystem um, so we'll, we'll bring things to a close there big thank you to my guests today Gary and Mike join us next time on Threat Talk for more cybersecurity discussion and if you've not yet caught up with the other parts in the series, you can find them over on infoblocks.com. I've been Peter Gothard. This has been Threat Talk. Thanks for listening. <laughs>